and welcome to Conversation with a Chef. I'm Joe Ritty and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. Today's chat is with Jack Stewart at Congress. Congress has been round for just over a year, gracing the corner of Peel and Wellington Streets in Collingwood. Jack stepped in as head chef from the start and has been plating up delicious food ever since. Jack is a stickler for quality and has chosen suppliers who favour one thing and do it well. If it's not in season, Jack's not using it. And he gets huge amounts of joy from seasonal produce at the absolute best point of its seasonal arc. Going by his Instagram account, he has a thing for the perfect loaf as well. Crusty on the outside, springy on the inside and with just the right amount of whole to bread ratio. I think ordering the tasting menu is certainly the way to go at Congress so that you can appreciate the techniques Jack has learned along the way, his flair for innovation and the love he has for what he's doing. So, Jack, <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thank you. And um, so I've read a teensy bit about you, but not I don't know a lot about you. So Yeah, I haven't been in uh, Melbourne long. I've been... Here are two years. Okay. Um, I'm from Brisbane originally. Okay. And I spent a lot of time in the UK as well. Yeah, that's what I read about you. Yeah. Working in a Michelin star. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been around a few places, but um, Melbourne is now home. Oh. Yeah. That's good. So let's start from the beginning, though. So did, did you always want to be a chef? Yeah, from uh, an early age, from when I was 16, I, uh, I went, instead of going to school one day in high school, I went to a, a local Croatian cafe, uh, when I was yeah very young, uh, Michos and we uh, we used to cook uh, packet pasta and instant mash uh, gnocchi, and I thought that was you know great back then. Yeah, that, that was my first job. This is like wow. this is so long ago. Yeah, and it it started from there. I think it's pretty interesting though having um, Croatian. I suppose it was yeah. There was a, might have been a community there or something in Brisbane. Yeah, to, to be honest, it was uh, it was a u- unique restaurant, and it was uh, it was kind of the it was kind of the best kind of food in that area, and it's, it's kind of all that I knew. And it was, and I would go there, and and I would learn the basics. And it was, um, yeah, it was a really good start. And from there, it kind of spurred me on to to want to go to you know the, the, the better bistro, and and then to a restaurant. And okay. yeah, we all start somewhere, and it was a, it was a good it was a good start. Yeah. 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 What do you think it is about it about that, well, not that particular restaurant, but just the food itself and the maybe the atmosphere. What 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 is it that made you think? Yep, this is definitely what I want to do. Yeah, I think the fast pace, of the kitchen, and and the, and the creative element, and it was um, you know something something that I, could, I thought it would be a sustainable career. Um, and it's it's you know it's definitely it was a good choice yeah. um, because actually I went to university when I was eighteen and and studied human movements because all my yeah. friends were going partying on the weekends and and I thought I saw the kitchen as a kind of you know you know you had to work every Saturday and Sunday and you didn't get much social life and I was kind of jealous of my friends and then I I did it for six months and then one day I was in the university car park and I said I've got to go back to the kitchen and that's when I started my apprenticeship okay yeah yeah what is human movements it's uh (laughs) it's kind of a um, you can study like um, physiotherapy, or okay. you can be a physio teacher, um, a sports co-ed sports teacher at high school. The way it was like migrations of people moving across the globe. No, it's no, it's, it's it's kind of yeah, yeah. I didn't, it wasn't really interesting. I don't think I even passed one uh, one course. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, yeah, food and hospitality was calling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a quick quick tuition. I, it, it actually caught up with me recently with the uh, with the fees. 
Oh. <laughs> yeah, like 10 years later. Wow. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you never, you never go unnoticed, can you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got a nasty shock in the tax. Uh, I had to pay it from oh, you know, all that time ago. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so, um, where did you do your apprenticeship? Uh, in Brisbane at yeah. Olivetto's. Uh, I was an English guy um, who would uh, work for Marco P. White back in the day. Okay. And he'd worked in a lot of great places. Um, in the UK and he'd come over and he was the kind of local bistro mm. so from Michaud's I went to there um, and I stayed there for two years okay uh, I was really really good uh, he was a really lovely guy he was like the nicest chef I've ever worked with to date wow yeah the the completely you know you think of a chef as crazy and shouting he was like the opposite because he had it really bad and he kind of wanted to change that I think that's what, because I don't think I've, I think all the chefs I speak to, they don't seem like shouty types. I think there's been a change in the... There's been a massive change, um, yeah. ...in the way things are done, and we don't have the brigades in the kitchen and the... Um, yeah, yeah. ...and that whole shouty thing anymore. And yeah. So that that's nice that you had that experience early on, because I think a lot of younger chefs were still getting that tail end of... Oh, that. I experienced it um, after. Oh, okay. Um, and it's, uh, it's definitely not... A sustainable approach anymore and something that we absolutely don't do at Congress. So. But I don't even think it's sustainable for the person doing it, let alone the people that are receiving that, because I feel like when you're in that constant state of yeah, absolutely. anger and negativity, it must be so toxic for absolutely. the food as well. It's unique because there's a lot of professions that, you know, if you did that in a, I don't know, if you're a lawyer and did that in a legal office, you'd be sacked and somehow yeah. there's this uh, industry kind of, yeah, yeah, got away with it for a while, so... Well, it's interesting too, isn't it? Because I was talking to Amber Carver, who's in Sydney, and she's um, this year set up the White Jacket Effect, which is yep. to combat um, mental health issues mm. amongst chefs. Mm. And um, we're sort of talking about, you know, for a long time, no one talked about mental health and no one talked about perhaps the sort of issues of stress or yeah. Um, yeah. or even this kind of anger thing that goes on. And, and I said, is it because, is it because it's male-dominated, I don't want to dump on men, but I don't, mm. I mean, how does, because it, it's such a creative industry as well, and it's about looking after people, because it's hospitality, and yet, yeah, behind yeah. the scenes, there was this kind of angsty thing going on. I think on. it actually stemmed from that creative side, I think, you know, artists, or painters, they're, they're on their own, and they do their own work, and, but when you're a chef, you, you have a creative side, and you're, you're relying on other people to, to, to do that food, yeah. and when you're at a high levels, like, two-star, three-star, two-hat, three-hat levels, when you when your food's so precise and you're you're at the top top level and other chefs are, are preparing your food, I think that's why it's so stressful. Yeah, that's true. That is true. And you're dealing with heat and pressure of time. Exactly, and, exactly. Yeah, that's right. And giving up the power to other chefs to be making sure it all goes on the plate right. Yeah. yeah. yeah so I think that's uh, that's probably why it stems from. And I think it's just an attitude that just like, you know, any any kind of thing, if you had a, you know, a bad childhood, you might go on to, to be a bad father. The same thing, that you've mm. experienced that, you, you repeat that. Yeah. And and it's just a pattern of behaviour that, that gets passed on, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so at what point did you go over to the UK? Yeah, so I worked at a lot of uh, places in Brisbane. Mm. To be honest, it wasn't... I would go work at a good place and then I would go work at a cafe and nothing was really happening. I would go to Europe. My father lives in Spain. So I would visit him a lot. Um, and my career wasn't really going, you know, where I wanted it to be. I was in a relationship for five years and we broke up and I said, well, you know, this is it. I've just got to go over mm. and, and work and focus. And I uh, found a place um, in the north of the UK, in Cumbria, Lakes District. Mm. Um, there was an amazing chef, Simon Rogan, who is probably the best chef in the UK at the moment. 
and it was in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And I packed my bag, said goodbye to my friends and family, and got a one-way ticket over, and and got a train to the north of England and stayed at this on a uh, blow-up mattress, blow mattress for six months. Yeah. And worked eighty hours a week for three pounds an hour, and it was it was amazing. When was that? <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Uh, that was when I first went over to the UK. So yeah. that would have been about four years ago. Okay. Yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. I had an amazing time. Yeah. It, was, it was so much fun and, and it was probably the best thing I ever did. Yeah, that's great. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I talked to someone who went out and worked maybe at the Royal Mail. I think that's where it was. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> to a lot of people, I get the most. most yeah, I a lot Royal Mail. Yeah. Stories and I've when, uh, yeah. And, um, and he was saying it was really great. It was. Um, the guy from Fatu that, that I spoke to. Mm. Um, anyway, he was saying how great it was to be, to have that bubble of being out of the city, so you didn't have anything else to do but work. Yeah, my closest learn. name was a herd of sheep, and <laughs> it was like have you, I don't know if you've ever been to Cumbria. To no, Northern. I haven't. It's yeah, it's very rural. It's yeah. right on the border um, near Scotland. Mm. So the closest city would be Manchester or Liverpool. Yeah, okay. and it's this amazing landscape. Um, but very, very quiet. Yeah. It's basically, you know, rich Londoners got there and escaped for the weekend, okay. that kind of thing. And what kind of food was Simon doing? He was very um, hyper-local kind of. He wouldn't use anything outside of Britain. Um, his sous chef, Kevin Tickle, who I went on to work as at Forestside, where we got the Michelin star, that's where I was sous chef. Mm. He, um, um, he would go foraging and he would be doing things like making his own birch sap from... From tapping birch trees so you know the equivalent of maple syrup but, but yeah. with, with birch trees so you'd get a big hose and you'd kind of fill up a tank of 50 liters of birch and you'd reduce it down to like 500 mils does it taste like oh god <laughs> does it taste yeah. like maple syrup is it yeah it had its own unique flavor but it was um similar it's probably mm. similar um and we'd do all the preserving and mm. so they wouldn't use anything so chocolate couldn't use chocolate because it wasn't from the uk what yeah he even said once that he didn't use lemons because there was no lemons around, but we caught him with a with a stash of lemons in the fridge, so that's probably not true. <laughs> you can grow lemons in England, can you? Yeah, well, they weren't, you know, they weren't in the local area. So that yeah. was the kind of um, the style of food, but very um, refined and very modern as well. Okay. It would be like 20 to 25 courses. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so it was... Um, it was very, it was a serious place. Yeah. yeah, okay. So how long are people sitting for when they're eating 25 Four hours? Four hours? Yeah. But you've driven all that way and you're staying, you're staying in the, in yeah, the yeah. local um, accommodation. So. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No, it was amazing. Yeah. So that's, yeah, so it would be a good, great place to learn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was and really then, good. so you had six months there, say. Yeah, and then I went to work at the Forest Side. Oh, yeah, okay. It's uh, for a year and a half mm. with Kevin. Um as a sous chef mm. and that's yeah we won the Michelin star the first year and he um, he um, did the very similar kind of style of food with, uh, with uh, lots of foraging and lots of uh, you know using lamb from a minute on the road and, and it was a really successful place and that's where I learned a lot of techniques mm. that I use at Congress now but mm. I've applied them in a more in a different format okay yeah could you maybe talk about that a bit yeah so the kangaroo pastrami that we do here uh, we actually did a venison pastrami in the in the UK, so I thought when I came back that it'd be lovely to do that with a local kangaroo, and it worked really well. Mm. It's one of the signature dishes. Yeah. Um, the pig's head sanger that we're famous for, um, we did something similar with squirrel <laughs> in the UK. Oh. Yeah, so I said that's probably not going to go well, and I'm not going to do a possum equivalent here, but no. I, I, you know, I use that 
the, the base technique and now it's one of the you know most famous dishes yeah so that's I think yeah when you're learning uh, as a as a sous chef or a, or a chef to party and you, and, you, and you go to be a head chef and you got all these techniques banked up and and it's your it's your responsibility to do them in your own way and and you know adapt them and, and mm. come up with your own techniques to pass on to people so yeah yeah so did you, did you come in on Congress when it started when it opened yeah yeah um, so I came back to Melbourne um, and it was it was a pretty funny time because. I thought I was going to come back and, you know, it was going to happen for me and and everything was going to fall into place, you know, and it didn't, like, no one really cared and I had to start all over again. Oh. Yeah, so I went to work at a cafe, which is an hour away in Hyatt, and I was looking at Seek every day and I couldn't find anything that I wanted and there was oh. nothing that really suited me, so it took a while. Yeah, it was a pretty sad time, actually. Is that because you need to know people or is it... Yeah, and I had this expectation that coming from that environment I just, totally but it doesn't always work like that no. and you've got to kind of you know prove yourself again I think coming back to another city it's interesting that you say that because I spoke to this Iranian um, chef who has just opened his own cafe out in um, Sunshine and he came yeah. over as a refugee yeah and um, but had had his own restaurant in Tehran like so yeah a well-known restaurant and yeah and um but when he came here and he got his, his work right, he said he went around 60 to 70 places. And so he yeah. sort of assumed it's because he was a refugee and so on. But it yeah. might, might just be that it's really hard yeah. if you don't know yeah. people. Yeah, and a similar thing I read about Dan Hunter um, mm. from, from uh, Bray. When he came back from Mugaritz, the same thing. He just couldn't find anything that God, was... you think... Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. And I, that kind of clicked with me because in his book he writes about the same experience coming mm. back and it just wasn't... You know, thinking, you know, it's just going to happen and, yeah, you've got to kind of prove yourself and push on. And, and luckily, uh, Congress came up and Seek mm. and I applied and did a master chef cook-off uh, kind of audition to get the job and and uh, went from there. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I like that they do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you cook? Luckily, there? the cafe's now closed and the, and, the, and the company behind it is completely uh, gone. Stellar oh, okay. property. So they're, they're a huge company and... They were opening up huge restaurants all over the place, and yeah. then it just kind of just, just dissolved recently. So oh, okay. it was a good move. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, what did you cook for your cook-off? Uh, I actually prepped it at the cafe, which was a bit naughty of me, of me. But um, I did simple food, which kind of resonates with what we do here at Congress. It was uh, uh, just simple gnocchi with wild mushrooms, a ham hock terrine, um, and burrata with citrus and guanciale. Yeah, simple food, and that. That did the job. Nice. Mm. So this is your first head chef role. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. 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 Um. So you're talking about having to, you know, st step up and take those techniques that you've learned before and make them your own. What are some other things that you need to step up into do, for you? Have you felt as, uh, as taking on that role? As I have lots of uh, staff management. I guess um, the big thing now is is hours. Just working too many hours. Mm. And to me, that was an alien concept coming from the UK, where there is zero workplace laws, mm -mm. like. You go to London and you're doing 90 hours and you're getting paid 20,000 pounds a year. Yeah. That's reality. Yeah. Um, and then coming here, there's a big movement now to, you know, rightly so, that every uh, every hour you should be paid for. Mm. And it's it was hard for me at the start to manage, I guess, um, chef's hours, um, especially doing food that requires you making everything here, which is what we do at Congress. Mm. Um, and that was a bit of a learning curve for me. Absolutely. That was probably the biggest learning curve. Mm. Um, and now with, you know, a 10-month-old baby at home, for me personally. But so many chefs <laughs> I speak to have got their I need to. Babies. I need to look at my life <laughs> and say, look, you know, I'm, I'm doing too many yeah. hours as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Crazy. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it's good that we have... I, I see how hard it is, though, for chefs, because it is long. It, it could potentially be long hours, mm. and lots of hours. Mm. Um, but then we talked about, you mentioned sustainability, um, whether you thought this job could be sustainable as a yeah. job, and I think yeah. you've got to look after that, don't you? And Absolutely. Make sure that it is sustainable into Absolutely. the future. Yeah. Because um, it's a physical job as well. And yeah, it is very, very physical. Yeah. And I think uh, it's not something you can do forever. No. Absolutely not. No. So when you were putting together your first menu, mm. and you had all these ideas and techniques and so on, how did you distill it into... Yeah, we've got a... There is, although, you know, it's a very creative role, there is the outline, which I had to adhere to. Um, no dish over $40. Mm. So it's a good value. Um, the food has to be honest. Utilitarian was the word, which means kind of nothing on the plate that doesn't belong there. Mm. So definitely no flowers or daisies. Mm. I wasn't, def- there's a strict no flower policy here. Oh, which I kind of agree with because a lot of flowers, they look pretty, but they don't taste of anything. Mm. Um, so there were the kind of boundaries um, that I had to kind of work with. <clears throat> and I, the first thing, I guess, with the first menu was looking to what was in season at the time, um, which is something we do very strictly at Congress. Uh, we don't use anything out of season. Um, you can get you can get uh, avocados from Mexico if you want, or you can get strawberries from all over the world at any time if you really want to. But mm. a lot of uh, kitchens will come up with a menu and then they'll get it somehow mm. but we do it the other way we we call up the supplier and and and, and see what they have and then we'll base uh, a menu over that yeah yeah so parsnips uh we had on yesterday and then they the, they weren't good quality so they that dish is completely gone okay. and then in the day after we're doing something different yeah so which you, is a, i think it's a really it to be, you know to confine yourself like that is it makes it easier i think it's, so you're basing your menu on what the supplier has that week or yeah absolutely yeah, nice. yeah absolutely um especially fruit and vegetables mm. um and a lot of uh yeah farmers markets that we use now mm. um we get supplied with, with one thing so we've just got one person that does asparagus uh one person just as potatoes um one person just as the, sh- the herbs that we oh. garnish things so. yeah uh, and ideally i would just like to do that with you know with every single supplier really because the person that's just growing asparagus is gonna have much better asparagus than someone yeah. growing 20 different things totally that's, yeah yeah that's pretty interesting yeah. so what's your process then so if something comes in like um well asparagus you don't have to do much to i suppose but um yeah but so an ingredient so the produce comes in and you then think like how do yeah, you yeah i think me and my sous chef we we um we get the ingredient and we look at it and, and we, I think the first thing we do is how can we do this differently and in, in, a, in a different way like the parsnips we were doing Hasselback style which is a an old technique that yeah. you know it's a retro technique but we applied it to a parsnip wouldn't that be quite hard because yeah, 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 it it's yeah uh, it's a bit laborious that's, <laughs> that's gone um, so, I'd be like top though. I'm, I try and do hazelnut potatoes, and I'm always like topping them in half. I can't yeah, just quite get yeah, there. yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, we we use uh, we rely on a lot of the techniques that we've done previous season, and then we'll come up with a different way, mm. and we'll yeah we'll apply it differently. So what, at the moment we've got a new dish coming on with a spanner crab. Um, so that comes in live. Um, we kill them humanely and, and pick the meat. Mm. Uh, and we've made a consomme with celeriac, which is unusual. Um, but there's, it's got a really sweet flavour. Okay. So we juice celeriacs and then we uh, clarify the celeriac juice so it becomes very clear. And we chill that with lemon juice, a little bit of salt. And just serve the sand crab with that. Uh, spanner crab, sorry. Um, apple and lemon vinegar. So very kind of simple, but a lot of kind of technique. Yeah, wow. Yeah. 
just always find it, it's just so fascinating to me how um, she's just have these ideas and do you have a lot of cookbooks or do you look do you yeah but less Instagram? and less I think yes, yeah. yeah I think Instagram is good and a curse and a bad because on Instagram yeah. you can you can see anything everywhere oh, that's too much and it's overwhelming mm. and it's not if you yeah to truly do something unique and, 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 and your own I think the less and less you look at these things the better because mm. back when I was cooking when I was younger there was no Instagram or anything no yeah it's really fascinating isn't it it's the repertoire of flavour combinations that you must have as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, certain twists on things and, and and there's a lot of, you know, classic foundations that can be played with. Yeah, and to yeah. know what might you might twist it with, that's interesting for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like crab and tomato works really well. Yeah. And tomato has a quite sweet flavour. Um, and celeriac, to me, is similar, and the, okay. the juice. So we use it like that. And we can kind of... Uh, you know, pea and ham is a great combination. Mm. So we've got a pasta at the moment, which is like a guanciale, um, which is the cured pork cheek, mm. which is, you know, the ham element. And then the, the peas is a, is a broad bean pesto. Ah. So tossed through. So broad beans, mint, broad bean leaves, which are having an amazing flavour. So pea and ham's turned into broad bean pesto and guanciale, which is a classic that you just re- revisit. And I think, yeah, a lot of the dishes um, work because of those, you know, yeah. Worked flavors that. And you should be willing, to, I suppose, to yeah, to think creatively and yeah, be open-minded to these things. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. And um, what would you say to a young person who was thinking about becoming a chef these days? What would your advice be? If you really love it, then I think it's the best career in the world. Absolutely. Um, but if you're unsure, then it's not for you because you just have to know. I think. If you're doubting it, then it's it's it's. I've never doubted it. No. Um, it's been it's not been amazing every day, absolutely not. But if you if you're arming and ahhing, then it's probably a reason that it's not going to work. But if you you know if you're passionate about it and you and you know it's for you, then you can go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to Conversation with a Chef. I'm Jo Ritty, and thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to read the full transcript of the conversation, you can go to www.conversationwithachef.com or follow me on Instagram so you'll always be up to date with the latest conversation.